Good morning, church. So good to see you guys. If you're new here, my name is Stuart McRae. If you're a guest, I'm, I'm Stuart McRae. It's a joy to serve on staff here as one of the pastors and to be able to be worshiping alongside of you this morning and now even worshiping with you as we open up God's Word. And so if you'll, if you'll do so, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, starting with verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, while you're turning there, I just want to point you to two things. One is the regular occurring sermon notes. You'll find that in your bulletin. This is going to have the main point, the, the outline, some maybe a helpful quote or two. And on the back, there's questions that you'll use in your, uh, your home group or for your own personal devotional times. So I want to uh, encourage you towards that. The other thing is, uh, I think inside that handout, you'll see a, a half sheet that's uh, defining some terms. Here's some terms that we're going to engage with this morning, and I just wanted to be able to give you something that you can hold on to. That way we're all on the same page of um, thinking about these, these terms and what these things uh, are meaning um, as we engage with this type of stuff as a, as a local body of Christ. <clears throat> Last Monday, the nation recognized Martin Luther King Jr. for the pivotal part he played in the civil rights movement. And it's possible to think that racism and ethnocentrism and the like are things of the past, but they aren't. It was just back in October when a man armed with guns burst into a, a morning service at a Pittsburgh synagogue firing shots and killing 11 while yelling out anti-Semitic statements. And then two months before that, there was a white nationalist rally in D.C. It was the second of its kind, the first being in Charlottesville in 2017. And there are countless other examples of this type of hatred. They are grievous, and yet they shouldn't surprise us. We live in a fallen and broken world that, that abounds with sin, and this is sin. And we shouldn't just look out there, but, but we should also keep on guard with what still lurks in here. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, the, the leftover and dwelling sin that remains in our hearts is, is geared towards isolation, separation, segregation, hostility, division. And so until Christ returns, we still need God's solution for these things. So Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 starting with verse 11. Again, we're going to look at 11 through 22 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 11. Follow along with me as I, as I read. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But... Now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God's answer for sinful racism, ethnocentrism, and partiality towards one another is the blood of Jesus. Sociological, psychological, legislative or cultural methods of abolishing racial and ethnic hostility fall short of curing the real problem. Only the cross of Jesus can fully and finally abolish racial and ethnic hostility because at its core, racism and ethnocentrism and the like are a result of sin and are sin. Friends, In our passage this morning, we see that, that a truth claim of the gospel is that Jesus produces ethnic reconciliation. Through the gospel, God has created a new reconciled, multi-ethnic humanity united to Jesus. And, and listen, for those who are reconciled to each other in Jesus, we must now look and live like God's new multi-ethnic humanity for his glory and by his spirit. Our passage is broken into three parts. There's verses 11 through 12, 13 through 18, and 19 through 22. Just a bit of background on Ephesians so we kind of have context and know what we're getting ourselves into. Ephesians is a letter written by the apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, uh, which was primarily made up of Gentile, that's non-Jewish believers. The letter is made up of two clear parts. This is pretty fascinating. We've got chapters one through three and chapters four through six. Chapters one through three is all about gospel truths, gospel truths. And four through six is all about gospel conduct. In other words, as a result of the gospel truths and chapters one through three, Chapters four through six tells us how we ought to live. Chapters one through three, these are gospel claims, not gospel commands. Even more specific, our passage is in chapter two. Chapter two is all about reconciliation. As, as Pastor Doug spoke earlier, the first 10 verses is all about man's vertical reconciliation with God through Christ. And then our verses, 11 through 22, is all about man's horizontal reconciliation with each other through Christ. 
Reconciliation is a change in relationship or attitude from enmity to peace. This is what we're talking about this morning. Reconciliation is a change in relationship or attitude from enmity to peace. And the truth claim of the gospel in our passage is this. Only Jesus produces ethnic reconciliation. And for those of us who are reconciled to each other in him, we must now look and live like God's new multi-ethnic humanity for his glory and by the spirit. All right, let's get going. Verses 11 through 12. Let's reread these. Follow along. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. These verses teach us, teach us this. People are segregated without Jesus. People are segregated without Jesus. Gentiles. Gentiles refers to, well, it can refer to two things. It can refer to those who are not ethnically Jewish. It can also be referring to those who are outside of the covenant community. So this can also be applied to those who are ethnically Jewish. In Matthew 6, in trying to dispel anxiety from his disciples, he says, why are you acting like the Gentiles? He's calling them a Gentile. And in that sense, he's saying, why are you acting like an unbeliever? So it can mean that you are outside the covenant community and not believing. It can also be a, a, an evidence or, or, or a name for those who are not ethnically Jewish. Oftentimes, it certainly does refer to those who are not ethnically Jewish. And so that's what's going on here. If you're not an ethnic Jew, then Paul is speaking to you and me right now. Verse 11 starts off with this important little word, therefore. Paul is saying that as a result of having just talked about in verses 1 through 10 about God's great salvation in Christ Jesus for, for both Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles should easily be able to recall what their former situation was before God saved them. They were by nature children of God's wrath due to their sin. They were enemies of God. They were sinners, and they sinned. This is speaking of us before salvation. This is, this is who we were. This is what we did. God's gotten, uh, Paul has an intentional strategy here, and it could be said like this. The, the people of God can't fully appreciate who Christ is changing them into un, unless they first understand who they once were. So, so in verses 11 through 12, Paul wants us Gentiles to remember some very specific things that pertain to our unique, unsaved Gentile situation. Verse 11, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Paul, Paul wants Gentiles to remember that at one time there was a theological distinction and a very real sinful ethnic division between Jews and Gentiles, here referred to as the uncircumcision. You gotta know that in the biblical world, the categories of, of ethnicity, politics, 
and theology are all wrapped up together. I think that's kind of lost on us some 2,000 years later in the, in the Western world. That's not the way we, we, we typically think of these type of things all being um, wrapped up together. Maybe the closest in our day to days might be considering the Islamic Arab world where I think still ethnicity, politics, theology are often very much intertwined together. But the point is we must understand that there is a, there's a deep and fundamental divide between Jews and Gentiles. The theological distinction between Jews and Gentiles was a God-given one. This was symbolically seen in circumcision. This is not a sinful distinction. This is a God-given distinction. Circumcision was given by God to be an outward sign of the covenant promise that he made with Abraham. This is, the, this is the promise that Abraham would be a father to a multitude of nations. Later, we even hear about Gentiles like Rahab and Ruth being folded into the covenant community. The, the Jews were called to be a light to the world, to prepare to bring the nations to worship, bring them into worship the one true God of Israel, and bring them into the expectation of their Messiah. But sadly... In their sin, the Jews corrupted God's grace towards them. The conflict throughout the Gospels between the Jews and Jesus, the Messiah himself, makes this painfully evident. The Jews had abandoned their calling and put their hope not in Messiah, but in the law and in the additions and corruptions of the law and in their lineage and in their ethnicity. And, and, as we, and as we move on into the New Testament, we continue to see that many Jews believed that they were superior to others and even loved by God, not because of their faith in Jesus, but again, because of their lineage and their Jewishness, their ethnicity, and their perceived obedience to the law. And so, it was a very real, sinful ethnic division between Jews and Gentiles as well. Friends, the, the reason why there is this, this kind of hatred and division, like racism and ethnocentrism and partiality, is because of sin. This wasn't just a Jewish sin either. There was ethnic hostility towards them as well. And to claim superiority over someone else because of one's ethnicity is evil and it's sin. Paul is reminding Gentiles that at one time there was a very real theological distinction and a very real sinful ethnic division between Jews and Gentiles. But there's more that Paul wants the Gentiles to remember. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul wants Gentiles to remember that before Christ saved us, we had some significant deficiencies. Three of them, briefly. Number one, Gentiles were separated from Christ. Well, in the most ultimate sense, this is true of 
all of us before salvation, both Jews and Gentiles. What Paul is really getting at is that the Christ, the messianic hope for deliverance, was given to the Jews. Yes, the, the, the promised Christ was to be a blessing to the nation, but, but that, that promise was not given to the Gentiles, it was given to Israel. Two, Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Before salvation, Gentiles, every non-Jew was estranged from Israel, the people of God, and had no right to the accompanying privileges and covenant promises that belong to God's covenant people. Gentiles had no, no, no rights to know God or his promises or his ethical law or his powerful protection or his faithful provision. If you're a Gentile, then, then you and I were aliens as the text says, aliens and strangers to these things and had no natural rights to any of these things. This is not a result of sin. This is a result of God sovereignly choosing a people for himself. So don't, don't get this twisted up. Number three, Gentiles had no hope and were without God. These deficiencies are a result of not being God's called out people and thus not belonging to the covenant community of God. There's a reason why this one is, is last. Before salvation in Christ, Gentiles had no natural hope for salvation because they were without God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the one true God of Israel. People are segregated without Jesus. Sinful people took what was God's grace to them and used it to hammer the heads of people who still did not know God. It's not so unlike the disdain we may have for that person who says or done, does things that show they are clearly not believing in the gospel and, and seems to flaunt their rebellion. Instead of being broken brokenhearted over their lostness. The Jews mocked the Gentiles for not being privileged. But again, this sinful hostility wasn't, wasn't reserved just for the Jews. The, the Gentiles, in seeing their otherness, were equally led to, to hate the Jews. People are segregated without Jesus. Let's make two things as crystal clear as we can before we move on. Sin is the fundamental reason why people hate God and hate each other. The reason why there's racism in the world, the reason why there is ethnocentrism in the world, the, the reason why there is there's partiality between people is because there is sin in the hearts of people. This is a, this is a Genesis 3, the, the fall issue. There was no hostility between people before Adam's disobedience, but it, but it didn't take long after before people started hating each other and killing each other. 
The the reason we need reconciliation, even, even ethnic reconciliation, the reason we need reconciliation is because of sin. Two. Remember, chapter two is all about reconciliation. First, man's vertical reconciliation with God, and then next, what we're talking about, man's horizontal reconciliation with each other through, through Christ. This, this order, this flow is intentional by Paul. Listen, there, there are no accidents in the Bible, no missed words, no missed, no missed orders or structures, intentional. You see, friends, we must understand that there can be no real reconciliation between people until there is first reconciliation with God. You you see, our, our, our first question is not, do we want reconciliation? Of course we do, but that's not our first question. No, no, our, our first question must be, are we reconciled with God? And friends, if, if your answer is no, this is the most important thing for you to, to hone in on this morning, to listen up to. Because there's good news. The creator of the universe, the one who intimately created you, and the one that you are at odds with because of your sin, just like I was, has made a way for people like us to be reconciled to him. He sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins, your sins, my sins, so that we might be reconciled to him. The call from Jesus and the gospels based on what he's done, is to turn from sin and to believe on him for the forgiveness of our sins and so be reconciled with God. The divide between Jews and Gentiles was not small, it was not simple, it was huge, it was complex. It was first and foremost a God-given one. It It was theological. But it was also an ethnic and sinful one due to the depravity of the human heart. These verses teach us that people are segregated without Jesus, but there is more. Let's reread verses 13 through 18. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. These verses These verses teach us that people are reconciled by Jesus. People are reconciled by Jesus. Where where verses 11 through 12 spoke about the Gentiles' past situation, verse 13 says, but now. 
But now, in union with Christ Jesus, you who were, who were once far off have been brought near. Us, us Gentiles who were once outside of the covenant community of God and could not enjoy its benefits and privileges, we had no hope and did not know the true God of Israel. But now, Gentiles have been brought near. How? By effort? No! By the blood of the Jewish Messiah! Gentiles, we did nothing to be brought near, but the crucified Christ did everything. Revelation 5.9 says it like this. You, speaking of Jesus, Jesus, you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The blood of Jesus makes outsiders insiders. Paul goes on to further explain how Gentiles were brought near and why they were brought near. Verse 14, he himself is our peace who has made us both one. Jesus, and it's said emphatically here, he himself, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is, is our, both Jew and Gentile. He is our peace, our reconciliation. You see, peace is the fruit of reconciliation. The, the peace between ethnic Jews and ethnic Gentiles is not found in so many other things that people try to find it in. No, the, the ultimate peace between ethnic Jews and ethnic Gentiles is found only in Jesus. And the way Jesus made the peace was, middle of 14, Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. In his flesh, that is his, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, Jesus brought peace between Jews and Gentiles by destroying, by destroying the wall of hostility that separated them. The wall that Paul is referring to is the law of Moses. Uh, it, it's also described here as the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. One commentator well said, the law was like a wall that separated the Jewish people from their Gentile neighbors. This dividing wall was symbolically represented by a literal wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the inner courts reserved for the Jews in the sanctuary of Jerusalem, the holy place where God mediated his presence to his people. Listen, the, the law was graciously given by God. It revealed his holy character to his people and to those outside the covenant community who were to see God's holy character through God's holy set-apart people. God's covenant community was a people set apart from the rest of the world living in God-appointed ways. The, the law is holy. People are unholy. Paul says in Romans 7, what shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. 
Sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of sin. And he says, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is holy. We're unholy. And as we read further throughout Israel's history, we find them interpreting the law of Moses in quite radically different ways, sinfully emphasizing the fact that the law separates Jews from mingling with Gentiles. Listen, this is important because this applies to us today too. The, The purpose of the law exposes sin. It declares to us our great need for a savior. The the, the law of Moses, this wall, isn't sinful. Rather, it exposed the sinful hostility that already existed within the hearts of God's people. Christ, Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, abolished the law and so brought peace between Jews and Gentiles. The law could never save. It can't save. It wasn't designed to save. (laughs) And listen, Jesus fulfilled the terms of the law in his life. And then Jesus paid the penalties of the law with his death. The dividing wall, both both God-given and sinfully used, has been torn down and in its place, Jesus. And for what purpose did Christ do this? Middle of verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 17, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And then 18, For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Guys, these are are breathtaking verses. It's not simply that God makes outsiders insiders. No, it's, it's much more than that. Jesus takes two things, those who are outside and those who are inside, both, both Gentiles and Jews, and creates one new humanity, one new man, a new body. Through his death on the cross and in union to himself, Jesus sovereignly created one new reconciled multi-ethnic humanity. Guys, this isn't just two old things that are, that are put together with, in, in keeping their old preferences and their old loves, etc., and just kind of being put together. No, this is two old things put together in Christ that becomes something other, and it's new. It's new. It's entirely new. And, and this is why the logic of Paul makes sense when he says in verse 15 that since Two hostile parties are replaced by one new man. The result is peace. Peace. And then then what's more? Through the cross, Jesus reconciles this new humanity to God. There can be no true reconciliation between people 
without there also being a reconciliation with God. This new multi-ethnic humanity has access in one spirit to the Father, as verse 18 says. You, you see, there's, there's not one white spirit and one black spirit or one Anglo spirit and one African spirit or one Latino spirit or one, one Asian spirit or one, one anything spirit. Oh no, there, there's one spirit who gives this new humanity access to the one Father in heaven. God is reconciling a new multi-ethnic humanity for himself in Christ and whose identity is now the church. People are reconciled by Jesus. Three thoughts for application for these particular verses. Promotion of true ethnic reconciliation comes through proclamation of the biblical gospel because only Jesus produces true ethnic reconciliation. Sin is the fundamental reason why people hate God and why people hate each other. Therefore, we cannot be reconciled to each other by simply trying real hard or, or getting educated. Yeah, yeah, our, our culture and our past and our families, you fill in the blank, they influence us. But, but underneath it all is the sin which ultimately pushes us apart. And listen, because it's sin, only Jesus can reconcile us and produce the peace that we so desperately need. If we want to promote true ethnic reconciliation, and we, we should, we must proclaim the biblical gospel of reconciliation. Two, the new multi-ethnic humanity of God now stands united to each other as one person in Christ with old distinctions no longer having primary significance. Now, now, Paul's not talking about eradicating ethnicity. From Acts 2 to Revelation 22, the scripture notes ethnicity without abolishing unity. In fact, the scripture stresses unity across ethnic lines, but only does so through Christ. God is glorified in the ethnic diversity that assembles around the throne, but the but that diversity is paradoxically seen as one new man in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our union to Jesus, we, we don't lose our ethnicities, and nor will we in heaven. But listen, our, our joint union in Christ together, in our joint union with Christ together, we now have a more significant identity than that of our ethnicity. We are one new man, one new body, one new humanity in Christ Jesus. This, this new humanity is a, is a beautiful tapestry of multicolored threads woven together and it hangs on the one canvas, Jesus 
Christ. Our primary identity is now in Christ. Three. We need to remember that Paul is talking about gospel truths here. We're in the portion of his letter where he is just making truth claims, facts of the gospel. Why does that matter? Because in other words, if, if you're a believer in Christ and therefore reconciled to God, then a gospel claim on your life is, in the mind of God, you are also already reconciled to other believers who are united in Christ also. That's just a truth claim of the gospel. It's a fact. The question for those of us that that's true for is though, are we living in the good of it? The, the gospel claim, this gospel claim is, is similar to other gospel claims where there's this sort of already and not yet aspect to it. This already and not yet aspect to it. Through Christ, believers, believers have already been reconciled to each other. Ethnically, male, female, reckon, already, it's a theological reality in the mind of God. And yet, in our everyday lives, we're not yet always experiencing that reconciliation, even with other believers who are a part of the new humanity of God. So here's a question. Who, in God's new humanity, whom you're already reconciled to in the mind of God, who are you not actually living this truth out with and need to pursue Reconciliation. Let me encourage you if someone came to mind. There's grace here. But the same Jesus who saved you and reconciled you to God and reconciled you to other believers in Christ wants to offer you more grace through the gospel of reconciliation to pursue reconciliation in this life. There's grace here. In these verses, we've seen that people are reconciled by Jesus, but Paul does not end here. He goes on to tell us about the result of Jesus' reconciling work. Let's read again verses 19 through 22. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. These verses teach us how how the new reconciled multi-ethnic community of God is to look and to live. These are truth claims. These are matter of fact. If you are part of that reconciled humanity, this is what we're supposed to look like and live like. The, the, the grand result, <laughs> the, the, the grand praiseworthy result of Christ's reconciling work is this profound reversal of all that we originally read in verse 12. Did, did you catch that? 
fellow Gentiles, before Christ reconciled us, in verse 12, we were considered alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. But now as a result of Christ's reconciling work, we, we read in verse 19, so then you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the Jewish saints and members of the household of God that's now made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Praise God. This is, yes, this is a truth claim of the gospel. This is a fact. What a wonderful reversal that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. In verses 19 through 22, Paul uses three metaphors to describe how God's new reconciled multi-ethnic humanity is to look and live. These metaphors are fellow citizens, the household of God, and a holy temple. Let's, let's look at these briefly. Fellow citizens, verse 19. Through Christ's reconciling work, Jews and Gentiles together are God's kingdom citizens. Together. In Christ, we now all are entitled to the benefits of being under God's gracious heavenly rule. Our, our primary citizenship is in heaven. We are foreigners here. This is not our home. We need to loosen up our grip. Our home is in heaven. That is where our citizenship lies. And listen, there aren't any classes in this, this, this kingdom either. There's no classes of citizens in heaven. We are fellow citizens in God's kingdom. You see, in this kingdom, there is, as chapter four says, one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God's new multi-ethnic humanity is to look and live like fellow citizens. Paul also describes God's new humanity as the household of God. It's also verse 19. Through Christ's reconciling work, Jews and Gentiles together are adopted as sons and daughters in God's family. Later in chapter three, verse six, we, we read that the mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Amazing. Not through the law, but through Christ has God created for himself a multi-ethnic family. And this household is not only created in Christ, but verse 20, it is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The household of God is created in Christ and then it's built on the gospel of Christ. That's what's being said there. With, with Jesus being the, the pivotal piece that, that keeps it all together. The gospel of Jesus. The, the gospel of Jesus is what unbreakably unites God's multi-ethnic family together. And, and, and listen, family of God, listen, in a very real way, we have a more real, deep, 
and eternal family connection with those whom we are united to Christ with than we do with those in our own earthly families who are not united to Christ. God's new reconciled multi-ethnic humanity is to look and live like the household, the family of God. Finally, Paul describes God's new humanity as a holy temple, verse 21. Through Christ's reconciling work, Jews and Gentiles are a holy temple in the Lord Jesus. Verse 21 and 22, they actually kind of parallel each other. Verse uh, uh, Paul uses parallel metaphors for holy temple in verse 22 when he calls us a dwelling place for God. But there's something in verse 21 that we cannot miss. We, we can't just skim by. God's new reconciled multi-ethnic humanity is, is joined together in Jesus and then through the power of Jesus by the Holy Spirit they grow and are built together into a place where God is pleased to dwell. In other words, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're to look and live this truth out, we must, by the power of the Holy Spirit, pursue becoming more like Jesus together. Together. God's new reconciled multi-ethnic humanity is a holy temple. It's, it's where God is pleased to dwell. For those of us who are reconciled to each other in Jesus, we must now look and live like God's new multi-ethnic humanity for his glory and by his spirit. What a, what a passage. That 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 God would be so kind to have preserved this for us so that we could know this truth of the gospel. So kind. Well, only Jesus produces ethnic reconciliation. And for those of us who are reconciled to each other in him, we must now look and live like God's new reconciled multi-ethnic humanity for his glory and by the Spirit. Let me, let me end with, with this. As I've said, we're, we're talking about truth claims of the gospel that, that in the mind of God are already true for us who are united in Christ. We're, we're already in God's mind part of this, this new multi-ethnic humanity. And yet, we don't live this out perfectly, do we? Let me, let me start off with an encouragement and then, and then I, I think what'll be a simple exhortation, but a, but a really good one for us. Grace, Grace Bible Church, we are an imperfect and yet wonderful expression of what God's new reconciled multi-ethnic humanity looks like. The exhortation for us is though, to continue on in it. We need to press forward. We need to press forward and live this out more and more. Let's say it again, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
the sin that remains, the leftover and dwelling sin that remains in our hearts is geared towards isolation, division, hostility. But by the Spirit's power, we can together continue to put off these sinful inclinations and intentionally put on living in the good of already being God's reconciled humanity. You see, church, when the, when the world looks at us, we want them to see a, see a profound bond of love that's not found in the world because it's only found in the blood of Jesus. Amen. By the Spirit's power that lives within us, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're, we're to pursue more of becoming what we already are in Christ. Only Jesus produces ethnic reconciliation. And for those who are reconciled to each other in him, we must, we must now look and live like God's new multi-ethnic humanity for his glory and by the Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for calling a people out for yourself from every, every tribe and tongue, language. Thank you for being glorified in this, this, this great and good act of Christ-finished work of, of reconciling people to yourself and reconciling those who are in Christ to each other. Holy Spirit, we're, we're asking that you would empower us to press on Press on for the glory of God. We want to make, make God look good to the nations. Help us to press on, press on to, to look, look more and more and to live more and more like this, this new, reconciled, multi-ethnic humanity that you've created in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.